0: Hey, welcome to the Leadership is Changing Podcast. My name is Dennis Junoutsos, and I am your host and I had a great pleasure of interviewing a lady by the name of Cherie L. Prince. Now Cherie is an attorney and an asset protection coach. She's also the podcast host of a podcast called Play Big Faster. And we talked about all sorts of things and the title of this episode is called Failure is Not an Option. You know what, she talked about begin with the end in mind. We had a great discussion around that. But also I was just gonna say to you, listeners, is check out who she has selected, who Sheree has selected as her favorite leader and why. Really cool discussion around that. And the other thing too, I loved what she said towards the end of the episode. And that is consider the cost of inaction. Really, really cool stuff. So sit back and enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through
1: exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership
0: is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode with the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us. And we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Cherie L. Prince. Cherie, a massive welcome to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Excellent. Now, whereabouts in the world are you?
1: I am joining you from the beautiful metropolis of Flowood, Mississippi, in the United States.
0: Yeah, excellent. That's very nice. And I've already given the listeners a little bit of a sort of introduction to you and your background and so forth. But we would love to hear more from you. Tell us more about you.
1: Well, look, I'm going to give you the cliff notes version because I can be a little wordy. But, you know, mainly I grew up on a farm with my grandparents after my mom passed away. And it just really kind of shaped my worldview on leadership, on family, and on a lot of things. Later in life, and I say later, but at 30, that's when I actually went to law school and had a series of businesses. And fast forward today, I'm an asset protection coach and an attorney. But all of that was informed by a lot of the hard knocks growing up with my grandparents and also some failed businesses. You know, I've had some success in businesses and I've had some failures, but I would tell you that the failures have really caused me to reach a certain level of success as to where I am now and how I help my coaching clients and also the clients at my law firm. So it's in peaks and valleys, but I have loved every moment of it and it has really allowed me to be a better mentor, a better friend and a better advocate for other entrepreneurs.
0: Excellent. And and the failures, because a lot of people think about success all the time, but when we think about failures, what have been one or two or three sort of like big lessons for you from it not going well? And how did you actually turn that in? Because I actually am a great believer that we will learn from failures, from mistakes to move forward. How's that helped you?
1: Oh, definitely. And I mean, I would say by far, the failures are what have really given me a stronger platform for my success. My very first business, I had a communications company with a friend of mine and the company was strong. It was a great business idea. We had clients, but we did it on a handshake. We did not have a written agreement. And with no written agreement, I walked into the office one day and his wife was there and she was like, well, I'm your business partner now and you and I are in business together. Well, you know, I did not know his wife you know, in terms of her business acumen or whether she was the type of partner that I wanted to be in business with. And it was not what I had signed up for. So that business basically fizzled out because there were no formalities. So, you know, for those who are listening, who may be great at making widgets or doing something creative, you know, my first major business failure was not because I was not talented. It was not because the business was underfunded. It was because there were a lack of formalities and structure. And what would have been an awesome business model failed. So that really showed me going forward to how important it is to have formalities, contracts, written agreements, and not just handshakes.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So it's clear for everybody and everyone's on the same page, if you excuse the pun, but everyone's on the same page there. So then everyone understands what's expected, who's doing what and so forth. So it's good. It's really important here. Now, by the looks of it, you're an attorney, you're also a speaker, and you are a coach as well. What are some of the topics that you as a speaker speak on?
1: Well, I help entrepreneurs merge their business plan with their estate plan. So a lot of what I speak about is building a moat around your asset. And some people like, you know, what is a moat? Why is that important? It's all about legacy and business succession. So if you are an entrepreneur, what happens to your business you know, when your expiration date comes, because we all have one, we just don't know when it is. And to borrow a phrase from Stephen Covey, you know, begin with the end in mind. So before you start a business, you should have some idea for what happens at the end of the life of the business. And that may not mean that the business, you know, fails. It could be that you sell the business, that you build this business to exit It could be that there may be problems and the business has to go through a reorganization or bankruptcy, depending on the type of business. If it's a partnership, the partnership may dissolve. And so I talk to people primarily about what happens to their businesses and how that affects their family and their family's ability to just go forward without that income from the business.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good to know because I think by the sounds of it, a lot of people We'll leave it to the last minute or don't do anything at all. And if we are strategic about where we're going, it's good. I think having the end in mind, beginning with the end in mind, is a great way to do it. It's a great way of seeing what the end picture is, and we're aiming towards that, which is a good thing. Yeah, very good. Now, Cherie, the other question I've got here for you is we're going to be talking about leadership and so forth. And later on, we'll talk a little bit from the lens of an employee When I talk about leaders today, how did you actually get into leadership?
1: It's really interesting. When I was an undergrad, I was a psychology major, and I was always really self-motivated. You know, I joined clubs, I held leadership positions, and I just always really desired at that point to serve in government at some level. After graduating, I was like, okay, so I want to join the city council, I want to be a council person, I want to make change in the area that I live in. Well, fast forward, and the first major job that I got out of college was for the director of communications at a mall. And it wasn't just like a retail mall. It was a medical mall. And they were like really going through and rehabbing the area where there was blights. And now they're revamping things and revitalizing the area. And so I kind of just fell into formal leadership, but it wasn't really until maybe a few years later, I've been on the job for a while, i would had other opportunities, i had gone to grad school, that I really kind of understood that it's not just, leadership is not just a position. You know, saying that I'm your boss or I'm your supervisor, it does not really make you a leader. It's kind of like people wanting to follow you because the things that you're doing are positive, they're advancing the organization, and there's something about you that's worth following. So when we talk about leadership, yes, I did have a leadership position at 21, where literally about 60% of the organization's budget, I control that, the staff, and it was very, very hard for me initially because I did not understand that type of responsibility. But it wasn't until I was on the job for a while and I really understood about people wanting to follow you, that I understood what leadership was about and how to encourage people and be partners and be a team member and not just someone who's standing out front.
0: When you entered into that role at 21 years of age, were there people who you were leading? Were there people around you who were older and different generations and so forth than you? Was that true for you?
1: Everyone was. So the thing about it, the different departments that I managed, they were departments that traditionally had people that worked in different trades. And so A lot of them did not have four-year degrees, but they had, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience. They may have had some sort of certificate or, you know, trade training. And so even just the way that I communicated, I had to learn how to communicate in a way that was different than what I was taught in school. And so, you know, I really cut my teeth in that position and I'm really, I feel blessed to have that opportunity.
0: Mm, Yeah, great, great. Because I was actually going to ask you too. What was it like for you to be younger, leading people who were older? Were they open to it? And how did you find it?
1: Oh, not at all. There was a lot of resistance. And I mean, I get it. I totally get it. Because I really, starting out, I did not know what I was doing. You know, for the first six months, I didn't know. At that point, I'd held jobs, but they were not significant management positions. And so when I started trying to work as part of the team and not just show up, and get orders when I started working alongside some of the people working the different shifts because this was a 24-hour operation. So instead of coming in just from 8 to 5, when I had to be there, I would maybe come and I'd be there for the, you know, 11 to 7 shift, the 7 to 3, and I would just really work with them. So if it was the maintenance crew that I was working with that day, I'm cleaning toilets. If it was the landscaping crew, I'm out in the flower beds. And so when I really got a chance to see what everyone was doing, that's when I really feel like I began to get some buy-in from the staff. And so I learned so much in that position.
0: Almost sounds like you were actually, as you said, going out trying to learn more about the business and about what everyone does, which was great. But also they started to respect you because you were rolling up your sleeves and getting in there and you were interested in what they had to do.
1: Well, and not just that, one thing that I found out is that I was giving people directives without an understanding for why they were not meeting my expectations. You know, I'm just kind of pushing paper, and I'm thinking, well, surely this can get done in this time frame, or you know they don't need X resources to complete this task. And when I started to work with them and just see institutionally how the organization was run prior to me being there and why people had certain expectations for the work, I really began to change the way that I would put together a work plan. So, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: Brilliant. Good good sharing there. Thank you. So, now this person can be alive or from history. Who is your favorite leader and why?
1: Well, you know what? I would have to say Colonel Sanders Hmm. from Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's not because the food is so great, but the food is great. I really like Colonel Sanders because he is such a great example of not giving up. So I don't know. Are you familiar with his story? Yeah, I am. Okay. So, you know, it was later in life that he found success. You know, for most of his life, he struggled to hold a job. And when I was younger, I thought that 40 years old was just, you know, you're just old and gray by the age of 40. But when he was 40, he had a small service station and he would be serving food at the service station. But fast forward less than a decade later, he went broke and had to sell it. So he's still trying to figure it out over his lifetime. But at 65, he was living in his car. And, you know, I'm thinking at 65, I do not want to wonder where my next meal is coming from or if if I'm going to have a roof over my head. But at 65, he was living in his car. And at some point afterwards, he had over, I think, a thousand different rejections in terms of trying to get back into business. But he eventually launched KFC. And this man did this in his later 60s. So when I tell you that, you know, failure is not an option, Colonel Sanders is like one of the best examples. Because, you know, he didn't just fail, but he failed repeatedly. And you would think by the time someone is in their later 60s, approaching 70, that they may have given up on their dreams. But he didn't. And so I just, I love his leadership model. I love what he was able to do with the franchise prior to his passing and even the legacy that he left.
0: Yeah, I love that story. I really do. Because I think it is, you know, what you just said there about failure is not an option. That is such a cool story, core metaphor. But also, if you think about what you do around asset protection, attorney with the, the end in mind, you know, even if you think about him and his legacy, as you just said it just continues to go and grow and is still around many years later. It's just brilliant. And uh, so, listeners, you know, I know that we all go through things. And, you know, Sheree and I, I don't want you to ever go through bankruptcy or losing everything and all that. But you know what? When life throws challenges at us, we need to embrace the change and then start to lead forward. And I think it's so strong. So, Sheree, thank you for sharing that story. It's an awesome story.
1: Oh, look, no problem. I thank Colonel Sanders for just having the heart and determination to push forward so that we have stories like this to share.
0: Yeah. Now, here's a question for you, which I haven't said anything to you about, but if you were meeting with Colonel Sanders for a coffee on a bench, you know, park bench somewhere, what would be one question you would love to ask him?
1: I would love to ask Colonel Sanders, why Southern food? Now, I'm from the South. If anyone knows about, you know, where Mississippi is geographically located in the States, we are in, you know, in the Southern part of North America. And so just why Southern food? Because there are certain pockets of the States where you can have, you know, universal dishes. So the fact that he finally settled on that, even from his entire business model, you know, you start out with the service station, but your goal is Southern food. And how and when did you know that this was going to be a fast food chain. Because we talk about franchises. How did you know that the Southern food model would be a franchise that would outlive you? So mm-hmm. that would be the question that I would ask him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it tastes great. I mean, all the nutritionists and all that listening to this now became like, Dennis, you can't, it, sorry, it tastes great. It, it really does. But I like it in the sense that you can go anywhere in the world, any country, it's a bit like, the other brands as well, McDonald's and so forth, you know what you're going to get. It doesn't matter where you are, right? That's a really good thing. Hey, I don't even know the answer to this question, but maybe you do. So you know how McDonald's runs on a system whereby they buy the land, they build the building, and then they have the franchisee come in. So it's not really that they're into hamburgers, it's really they're into real estate. Is KFC on that same kind of model?
1: I don't know. I would imagine it would be something similar because I know that the Walmart you know, model is something similar to that where it's like this huge real estate company Mm. and they have a separate, you know, the operations part is different than the real estate. But I would imagine so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. It's, It's pretty cool. It's actually a very good model. Anyhow, they've become leaders in their own industry, in their own field and where they work. So it's brilliant. Hey, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I use, or say, that title or that statement, what does that mean for you?
1: It really, I think, goes a little bit deeper into introspection. Because as leadership changes, you know, before we started recording, we were talking briefly, you know, it's been going on four years since the initial pandemic started, global pandemic. And prior to then, there were so many things that we had to be in person to do. And, you know, 2020 in March, when the world started to shut down, people slowly moved to their computer screens. And the way that we started to interact was different a lot more remote interactions, a lot more ability to do things electronically versus having to be there in person. So I think as we look at leadership, we're going to also have to look at the way that we communicate, because even though we're getting back to normal, whatever normal is in terms of in-person meetings and such, there are so many people from all across the world who are leading the charge in different areas who prior to this may not have had a stage or an opportunity to share things about them. You know, even look at your podcast. There are people around the world who will know about all the great and different facets of leadership because they listen to your podcast. Now, were these same opportunities available prior to the pandemic? Yes, they were. But now people are more focused on access, ease, and information. So when we look at the face of leadership today and five years from now, we're going to have to think about technology. We're going to have to think about AI. We're going to have to think about even the things as great as AI and technology are. You know, what are some of the caveat things to look out for in terms of, you know, people using your name, image, and likeness in a way that you may not agree with or stealing that intellectual property concerns? So I think the leadership is advancing, but the way that we look at leadership is going to be different because we also have jobs that are being eliminated because people are automating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think
1: those are some primary concerns.
0: They are. And, you know, we've always had people's roles being made redundant or retrenchment and so forth because of technology advancement, cost savings. That's always happened. And, okay, it's going to happen more again. And people are afraid of AI or technology. But you know what? I think it's a more of an enabler if it's used in the right way. But I think it saves people who don't use in the right way. That's what we've got to be very careful of. Uh, but you're so right in what you're saying there too. We need to look at the way we communicate. Coming on the four-year anniversary of the, the sort of like the major shutdown around the world, in the US, are you still seeing people still wanting to work from home? In other words, organizations are finding it hard still for people to go into the office?
1: Oh, definitely. You know, just in the area that I live in, we're experiencing longer wait times at restaurants because they're short staffed. People have not completely restaffed, you know, and there are so many offices that, you know, you have people that started out working remotely at the beginning of the pandemic. And so when you've kind of figured out how to do that effectively, because you've had to out of necessity, the question is, am I still going to spend You know, $26 per square foot on this huge office building, when we've kind of learned how to cut back on cost and work just as officially at home, if we're not public facing and having the public to come in to see us. So I definitely see changes with service-based businesses in our area. And I think it's, you know, it's not something that's going away, but real estate market really has taken a hit in terms of commercial real estate, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting. The same thing happening here in this part of the world too. But I don't really get, I mean, I get a lot of organizations that are consolidating. So they may be in a building and they've got, I'm just going to use some numbers as an example. They've got six floors within this building and they've got the naming rights. All of a sudden, they may still need to hold on to those naming rights because there's a contract and everything in place. But they're going from six floors to three or to four or to two. Why? Because they're finding that not everyone's coming in on the same day. The floors aren't being utilized fully. And people are still working from home, so there's this hybrid kind of model: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays may come into the city. We see traffic a lot more a lot busier now on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. But what I don't really get is the fact that they're consolidating the floors. commercially, the commercial real estate must have been being hit. Well, they're filling up. they are the other floors. People are still taking commercial properties, and it's just like what's going on? Well, a whole lot of new businesses got launched within COVID time. People came up with new ideas. So some people are going, but some people are arriving. And it's really quite interesting to see how it all goes and how it's all working. Retail stores, yes, we're seeing closing down due to, you know, they've got a lot of money owing or there's, they've had a hard time because of the lockdowns. Tree, the way I look at it, I, I just think it's fascinating how it, all, it is all working and how things are moving in and out.
1: Oh, definitely. And when you mentioned retail... I don't think I have ever purchased as much stuff from Amazon as I have in the last three and a half years. I mean, literally. And it's not just Amazon. There are so many grocery stores and other retail chains who are offering delivery service where you just go and order it online and they drop it off at your door. So the convenience of it all, you know, it's really changing the way that people are interacting and the way that they're spending money and buying goods.
0: Yeah. And they are looking for that convenience. And they have actually understood I can do my work from home. For me, personally, for me, I like to have the interaction with people. I I miss it if I'm not out with people. Sometimes I'll even go work at a cafe. Just to hear the hustle and bustle in the cafe happening helps me. I just need to be around people. Others, they love being home by themselves. And cool, that's all good.
1: Now, I think that I may be a hybrid of both of those. I will be honest. If I'm working from home, I get more done. My work and just my chores around the house. So, you know, I try to work in 50-minute blocks. Oh, And so for those 10 minutes, I'm up, I'm stretching. I may go throw a load of clothes in the washing machine, or I may go put something in the oven for dinner, but I'm moving. And so I just, I get more done, I think, at home in my house shoes.
0: And I am like how what you said about the 50-minute blocks and then for 10 minutes getting up, stretching, so forth. Getting out of that environment. Sometimes I will do that and go and walk, put my shoes and socks off and walk on the grass, just reground me again, come back in again, away we go. Are you finding that you're able to go, your energy levels throughout the day are a lot stronger, a lot better?
1: Definitely, because when I'm at the office, my workspace is workspace. It's not that it's uncomfortable, but when the pandemic hit, Everything that I had at the office in terms of technology, I have the same thing in at, at my home. So the same type of computer, printers, and things like that so that I could actually get the work done. But, you know, at home, I have my fluffy chairs, my blankets, my pillows. And so I'm still working, but just being, you know, I try to make my home as comfortable as possible. It's, it's my quiet place, my place of solace. So just working in this atmosphere, I just, I'm more productive. Yeah. And so... I still know that I have certain things that I have to check off my list, and I'm definitely going to get those things done. But because I'm more comfortable, I think I get more done.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is because you are comfortable, there's probably more energy, but also having those 10-minute breaks every hour, that also yes. will help you, too. Yeah, So it's good. Very good. Excellent. Now, you and I are living in a world where it's very fast-paced. Technology, social, data, business, things are changing really quickly. It's dynamic. Now, I know that you've probably already shared some things already, but I think, is there anything else you think that leaders should take into consideration for them to be successful in a fast-paced, ever-changing world?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that all leaders should consider the cost of inaction. Sometimes, you know, maybe we've been serving in a role for an extended period of time, and the role is pretty much ours as long as we would like for it to be. So we fail to innovate. We keep doing the same things because we've always done that. It's not broke. We're not going to fix it. But I think as leaders, you have to be ever evolving. And so when I talk about the cost of inaction, that's the cost of not being innovative, not trying to take your leadership to the next level and raise the profile for the company and the employees that you serve. Because as a leader, you really are, you know, a servant. You have a title, you may have a certain position of prestige, but you're really serving the company and you're there as a model to those that you work with. So just considering the cost of not doing something to further the organization or to even sharpen your leadership skills by going to a conference, maybe writing an article, establish yourself as an expert in a certain area. All those things I think can cost you opportunities and Negatively affect the people that you serve and the company that you work for.
0: Wow, that's brilliant! Thank you, because I like what you say. Consider the cost of inaction, and if we are sitting around not doing much or we're doing the wrong things, yeah, it's going to cost us big time. Sharique, you and I have been talking about leadership through the lens of as a leader, but if we were to change lenses now and think about it from an employee's perspective, how's their expectations of leaders changed?
1: I think that. In terms of expectation, you have some leaders who they may not say it out loud, but they have the attitude, do as I say and not as I do. So we're living in a world where people are putting anything online on social media, websites, you know, Reddit forms and things like that. And the idea is, well, I'm not at work, so I can say these things and do these things. But as an employee, You know, I may run across your Facebook profile, your Instagram profile, or an article that you've written, and it may be something that may be out of line and not in character with who you are day to day. So I would say from an employee perspective, if I'm looking at my leaders, I want to look at real people. And so if the person that you really are is the person that I see on your social media profiles... Let that be the same person that I see at work so that I can make an informed decision as to how I'm going to follow your leadership. And so, you know, in this day and age, we have cancel culture. Mm. And people are so quick to counsel you when they find out that you've done something that's not in line with who you purport to be from eight to five. And so, you know, that's just my take from an employee perspective.
0: Yep, And that can- cancel culture is out there very strong. And it's it's weird. Uh, I don't like it. But the thing is, what you're saying is so important here that employees, people do want to work with, for, whatever way you want to say it, with real people. And I I think it's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Well, and think about this as well. If you are one person all the time, can you really be canceled? One example, I don't know if you are familiar with the comedian Dave Chappelle. Yes. So, you know, Dave, at one point years ago, had a very successful show on Comedy Central. And at some point, he walked away. Now, a lot of the comedians and actors and actresses, they receive some sort of money from endorsements or sponsorships. And so they are kind of censored in terms of what they say. And they may not always speak their minds. Well, Dave Chappelle just made up his mind that he was gonna be who he is 24 seven, say whatever he wanted, whether it offends anyone or not. And I don't recommend offending anyone at all. But you know, when you're talking to Dave Chappelle, that is the real person. Now in, in corporate settings, you do have a certain amount of decorum that you would have to have, but can somebody really cancel you if you are the same person all the time? Nobody can you know, get you with an aha moment now that you're running for a public office because you are that person all the time.
0: Yeah, I think where people get caught out is they're trying to be something they're not. And uh, yeah, so what you're saying there is spot on. Yeah, really, really good. Now, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years?
1: Leadership in five years. I would see it being very similar to where it was pre-pandemic with the exception of I think that there would be a lot less interaction because things are becoming so automated. And I think when we talk about leadership, it may be measured more, not so much in service. I think it would be more quantitative instead of qualitative. And so, you know, prior to when we talk about service related leadership, it's like, here I am day to day, we're together and you're seeing what I do and maybe I'm influencing you. But now we're talking five years in the future where it may be more quantitative. I think that we're going to have more metrics because we're going to have less interaction with the evolution of technology. So I think that's where we're headed and hopefully there's that's a positive shift. Sometimes, you know, as things evolve, it's uncomfortable, but hopefully that's positive.
0: When we change it, always, well, it can be uncomfortable. I always love that kind of cartoon I seen out there, which is, Hey, you think we should have change? Yes. Mm. Okay, who's willing to change? In this silence, no one wants to change.
1: No, but change is not always bad. You know, one thing that I share with people is that I am a risk taker, but I take calculated risk. You know, I'm just not out there doing the first thing that pops in my head. I sit down, I evaluate what are the pros, what are the cons, and I will take a leap because you don't know unless you try. So, you know, sometimes change is scary, but if you think about the rewards that may come from change, Sometimes they outweigh the risk.
0: Yeah, and they do. And I think the other side is that if you do take a calculated risk and you're out there, it's still risky, but at least you've gone through it and worked through it. And the other thing is, as you say, you know, the rewards for the success will be great, but I think the rewards of it not going too well are also going to be great too because you learn from that and you grow from that and you move on.
1: Right. And I'll give you one example of that. I was 30 when I went to law school, you know, when I got out of undergrad, I went straight and got an MBA and I was just kind of tired. I didn't really want to go to law school at that time. So I worked full time, had a couple of businesses, had some successes, had some failures. And I had friends who were like, you know, Cherie, why now? Why law school now? I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old at the time. And so the thing that I shared with one friend was whether I go to law school now or not, the time is still going to pass. What am I going to do with this next three years if I'm not in school? You know, the time is going to pass. Why not put it towards something that's positive, that's going to increase my access to things in life? And so I went to law school at 30 with two toddlers, and it was a daunting task. But I'm glad that I did it. And honestly, all those long nights and lack of sleep, it paid off. The reward was a lot better than the risk or just not doing anything and letting the time pass.
0: Superb. Well done. That's a brilliant story. Thank you. Sharif, it's been a pleasure talking to you today about leadership and leadership is changing. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go?
1: If you would love to chat or just find out more about me, LinkedIn is really a great place to go. You know, I'm holding conversations there, meeting awesome people all around the world and sharing resources. And you can always check out my free workshop at com. We do that a couple of times a year, totally free for about an hour. I show you how to build a moat around your assets.
0: Excellent. And do check it out, listeners. Uh, We'll put this all in the show notes so you can see that I've checked out Sheree's website. Fantastic. So here we go. It's really good. So there, listeners, it's been great having Sheree on the episode. Sheree, once again, Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Listeners, well, failure is not an option. And if we can consider the cost of inaction and we can go out there and do things, just imagine if you begin with the end in mind. Hey, it's great having you here with us. Thanks for joining. Until next time, bye for now.